Several months ago, when we began our study of the book of Acts, I realized that our young people would be studying Acts for our Bible Bowl study. And I wanted us to be able to go through the book of Acts to learn the great lessons that are there about the preaching of the gospel going into all the world. And the lesson that I guess perhaps that I think about often is from Acts 17 and verse 6, where they turn the world upside down. You see, the truth is, Luke carries through the book of Acts almost seamlessly. You read about the beginning of the church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. You keep reading about it and you realize the gospel goes to all these various cities. And you get to Acts 17 to verse 1 and it says, And they having passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. You see the gospel just moving from one place to the next. But yet when you read that, you may not realize that it's not as if you're going from McMinnville to Smart and then to Morrison and then maybe all the way to Manchester. The journey from Philippi, from Acts 16, to Thessalonica in Acts 17 is 100 miles. And what you learn is that these men, Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, These were godly men who endured for the gospel's sake and they showed how dedicated they were to it. It calls on us to have that same sort of commitment in our lives, to be committed to preaching the gospel to people who've never heard it, to people who are lost and they're dying and we owe them the gospel. There are three things that I'd like for us to look at In our study today, the first one is the reaching of the mind. To be able to present the gospel in such a fashion that people will accept it, they'll learn it, they'll obey it. Number two, we want to talk about the reactions of the heart. When you and I are presented with the truth, how do we respond to it? Do we accept it? Do we reject it? Do we consider it further? And then finally... The revolution. Sometimes when we read the scriptures, we don't realize how revolutionary the message is that it is a life-changing and a world-changing message. Let's begin with the idea of the mind. And your mind and everybody's mind matters. To be able to take God's message and to put it in your mind For instance, if you'll remember when Paul was before Agrippa in Acts 26 and verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Persuasion. That's what Paul was doing. That's the reason why when given the opportunity by Festus and Agrippa to present the message, he preached to them the gospel. When you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 10 and 11, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 
knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing what will happen, do you realize that our neighbors, our friends that are in these houses that have no interest in spiritual things, they're lost? That if the Lord should come again or they should lose their lives, they would not spend any eternity with God. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Will you go with me to our text in Acts 17? Let's look at verses 2 and 3 and see how it is that Paul describes the persuasion. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Now, I want you to notice there's three words that I underlined. The word reasoned, the word explaining, and then the word demonstrating. Now, for just a few minutes, I'd like to just go through that and see if we can appreciate what he's talking about as we reach the mind of man. What does it mean to say that we reason with someone? The original word is the word from which we get our English word, dialogue. The D-I-A means through, and the word latter part of that means the word. So literally, it's through words that you and I are able to persuade people. If you remember back in Acts chapter 11 and verse 14, it says about Peter going to the household of Cornelius, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. That's the reason why this morning we're gathered here. That's the reason why I'm standing before you as a preacher of the gospel. To use words. God's words. Words from the text of the lesson. And Paul used in this context that words, those words which came from Scripture. In order to persuade people to obey God, we must show them the Scriptures. We've got to give them a thus saith the Lord. It will not do for us to simply say, this is what I say you ought to do. It will not do to say to them, well, this is a good way to go in life. We've got to present to them, this is what God says to you that He expects you to do. It's not my message it's God's message. But if you'll notice, right after you see that word reasoned with them, it says explaining and demonstrating. Now, it's not my purpose to have an English lesson, but these are participles. Those are words that explain, that elaborate on what it means to persuade someone to speak to them, to reason with them. Those are very valuable words. For instance, the word explaining. If you're looking at your King James or American Standard, you'll see the word opening there. That's a good translation. And the idea here is, is that the word means to open. It's like a person having an open mind. Someone comes along and 
they've got prejudice in their mind. Or maybe they've already got a, a previous, what they believe is an understanding of this passage. They think they know what it means. And you have to tear down those barriers, if you will. Remember Jesus in John 8, verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. My word has no place in you. Jesus was dealing with people who already had their minds made up about him. They had their mind made up he couldn't be the Christ. He had already told them back in John 5, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. You see, it's quite plain that this idea of opening involves explaining to the point where the word gets down deep inside a person. I think one of the best illustrations, though, is found in Luke 24, as Jesus is having a conversation with the two men on the road to Emmaus. We see in verse 32, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us. Oh, now, I think about those men, and I, I think about as Jesus is giving them all these things that are contained in the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets and these words, and they're saying, okay, now I understand what that means. He's opened their understanding. Verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. What does that mean? That means if I go out and I'm trying to reason with someone about their soul, I've got to be able to open the scriptures in their minds. That means I've got to explain it so they get it, they understand it, and they grasp it. So if one wants to open another's minds, he must explain the scriptures. But the second participle that he uses there is the word demonstrating. Demonstrating. Now, I know many of you know that I like watching the shows where they build cars, where they build houses, and they'll tell you we're going to do this, but then they will show you how they, they will demonstrate it. Sometimes when you get a manual to a, maybe a new uh, piece of appliance or equipment, You'll look and in the instructions there'll be written words, but then there right along with the words will be an illustration of where you press a button or whether you do something. Well, the King James and the American Standard use the word alleging here. And the original word means to place something alongside, a parallel if you will. And if you think about parallels in the Bible, you can think about the word parable. Where you take an earthly story, something that people are familiar with, and you place beside it God's application of that. And so if you're talking about, for instance, the parable of the soils, you're not just talking about soils because he said in Luke 8 and verse 11, the seeds, the word of God. He's talking about how it fills the hearts of men. So if I am going to be able to persuade someone, not only am I going to have to tear down the barriers, I've got to open their minds to understanding 
And then I've got to illustrate it to them so they can grasp the meaning of it. And obviously what we have here is Paul taking the Scriptures and saying, here is what the Old Testament said. Then he says, let's take the life of Jesus, let's put it right beside of those, and let's see what he did and how he fulfilled them. In Acts 9 and verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. How did he do that? How did he prove that this Jesus is the Christ? He went to those Old Testament prophecies. He took them and then said, here's how Jesus fulfilled them one by one. Acts 18 and verse 28 For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So as you and I begin this understanding of what he did here in Thessalonica is reach the mind. The second thing you will observe is the reactions of the heart. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 in this context now. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason sought to bring them out to the people. You see the two different positions. Those who were persuaded and those who were not persuaded. What's the difference between the two? Why is it that one group of people will be persuaded and one group will refuse to be persuaded? Well, I'd suggest to you 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 has the answer. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive a love of the truth that they might be saved. A love of the truth. Now here's the world that you and I live in today. Everybody talks about their truth. Oh, that's your truth. What about my truth? That's a misuse of the word truth. Truth is the reality. Those are the facts. And they're facts regardless of how I feel about them or how you feel about them. We wonder today why our news media is so confusing that you can turn on one channel and they'll say, oh, this is the way it is, and you turn on another channel and they'll say, no, this is the way it is. That's the world we live in that doesn't prize and value truth. And here's the issue. Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, or not? There's some people that are going to say, no, it's not, because they don't love the truth. They don't want that to be the truth. The prejudiced heart, as you see in this passage, seeks to destroy the message. Just like we see it in our society today, truth is truth, and some people don't want it revealed. And so they seek to destroy. And there were some who sought to destroy the truth about Christ. What are you going to do? We're going to go out and we're going to find evil men in the marketplace. 
people who are lazy or just hanging around and they're trying to find something to get into. You're going to get a group of those. You're going to create a mob and you're going to try to get rid of Paul and Silas because you don't like their message. You see, it's the heart of man that chooses to listen and learn and obey. Romans 10, verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Mark 16, verse 14, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Oh yeah, there's people who don't want to listen. They don't want to be persuaded. And what that does, that leads us into the last part of our lesson, and that is the revolution. And I think when you get to verse 6, it's very telling because what you learn is these men turned the world upside down everywhere they went. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. What a revealing phrase. These who have turned the world upside down. The preaching of the gospel is revolutionary. It does cause conflict. Either you accept Jesus as the Christ or you do not. Either you're going to be obedient to what he tells you to do or you're not. In this case... Many of them said, oh no, we're not going to give allegiance and honor and respect and devotion to Christ. They're saying, we're following Caesar. But even that wasn't true. Because these Jews, they didn't respect Caesar. They just simply were prejudiced and they were not going to go along with what was said. When Paul wrote the Thessalonians, he refers back to these events in Acts. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 2, he says, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Notice, he, he's really talking about Acts 16, the conflict, the difficulty, the spiteful treatment that he accepted and experienced while he was in Philippi. Then you get to Acts 17, he comes to Thessalonica, and he says, you know, when we preached to you the gospel of God, it was in much conflict. Sometimes today I wonder if we are being bold enough in telling the world that if you don't obey the gospel, you're going to be lost. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23, Paul would write, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. The world we live in today, many of them think that what you and I are doing here today is a waste of our time. But I'm convinced that Jesus is the Christ. I'm convinced that he deserves our honor, our respect, our worship. In Luke 23, verse 5, they were more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. If Jesus suffered for teaching that He was the Christ, 
Should I find it any different that I would suffer for teaching the same thing? Or you can take the instance of Paul in Acts 19, verse 26. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying they are not gods made with hands. Paul confronted idolatry. He confronted false religions. And he said there's but one way to get to heaven. I'm sure that the words of Jesus in John 14 verse 6 must have resonated in the first century as well as they do today. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. That's the only way to get there. Now as we get to the end, I ask the question, do these words move you? I think about these people there in Thessalonica. Some of them were persuaded. They joined Paul and Silas. Others were not persuaded. Are you willing to be persuaded the message that can change you? I go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn from God to God from the idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That is really the message. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe he's the Son of God? Do you believe that we have to be obedient to him? Why not do as we've studied? Open your mind, react with your heart, and be obedient to the Lord. If you're not a Christian this morning, we're going to sing an invitation song, the purpose of which is to encourage you to be obedient to the gospel of Christ, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Friday evening, I came over here to witness a young man be baptized for the remission of his sins. I saw the joy on this young man's face because he knew what he was doing, the commitment that he was making, the life that he was planning to live. If you're a child of God and you're toting sins around in your life, we want to pray with you and we want to pray for you. That God will forgive you of those sins. The song we're going to sing is Hark the Gentle Voice. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?